and good afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Leslie McMurray. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Living the dream. Um, Leslie is our new, old... Sidekick emeritus. Sidekick <laughs> permanent substitute host. Patty and Laurent are both off this week. And that is the first time that has happened in years. So I have two sets of shoes to fill this week. Yes, you do. <laughs> Good thing I have big feet. Now, if Leslie sounds familiar, she's been a guest on the show dozens of times. Yeah, at least, yeah. Um, I think I'm your second most frequent Leslie still. Who was the first most Leslie? Your celebrity. the Oh, Leslie Jordan. Leslie Jordan, yeah. But you've been on more times. Have I? Yeah. Okay, so I'm still your second favorite, but most often. That's it. Yeah, okay. I can live with that. Um, our guest today is <laughs> Teresa Scott Les Laster. Hi. Uh, Teresa, at the last minute, she and I are she and I are friends, and we were going to go have some lunch together after the show. Leslie, you're welcome to join us. Thank you. Um, and I said, "Hey, how about coming on the show and let's talk about grief." Teresa's husband was one of my best friends, and he passed away in a way that was so similar to the way my husband Brian died that it was eerie. I came home from work, uh, and it's coming up on seven years now, and Brian was passed out on the floor. Teresa came home from work, and Trey was passed out on the floor. Coming up on seven months now. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you doing? I'm here. Um, I can say I'm better, but that's because you know, family, friends, um, just my relationship with God. That's I, mean, I would say that's what it is. Cause Did you go for any counseling or join a grief group? I didn't. I didn't. And people have said you should do that. You should do that. And I made myself super busy to where I'm like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> but so far it hasn't gotten to the point to where I'm, I probably should, because I mean, you just never know. But so far I feel like I'm okay. But I'll call you if I'm not, David, I sure will. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's something that's really important because too often, when someone, a married couple, one of the spouses dies, the friends all pull back because they don't know what to say, what to do. And so instead of having that support structure that should be there and it's, you know, friendships that you've cultivated, a lot of times they pull away. And so if it's an, if it's in your court to have to reach out, I think that's great and very healthy if you do. But I would like to encourage if you are friends with somebody and something happens to a spouse, they're be for them. Be there for them. Mm -hmm. Find a reason to call and, and exactly. check in and just see how you're doing. And bother me. Please yeah. come bother yeah. me. That'll give me something to do. And sometimes it's that busy that keeps you from thinking so hard yeah. about, you know, being alone. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful because my, my family is one of those people. We're going to bother you. So <laughs> they bothered me. And it's just from even my job. They were really, really just supportive. I had gotten... From the CEO on down, bear hugs. Just, oh my God, Teresa, we're just, oh my God. Just being, just being there. And a lot of times, sometimes, like you said, just mm -hmm. bother us. We could use some bothering. See, I needed to be left alone. Oh. And nobody would. Nobody would. Oh, <laughs> poor thing. And what they were offering was food. I want to take you out <laughs> to dinner. And I said, well, I'm already going out to dinner 13 times next week. I mean, it, it, got, it got that bad. How about a casserole? Nice covered dish. <laughs> and course. I have food allergies. <laughs> oh, David. So uh. I couldn't accept food. Um, but one thing I learned was if somebody says to you, I want to take you out to dinner, I want to do such and such for you, I know it's coming from a good place, but it's what they want. They're not taking into consideration what you need. 
That is true. I found that the ones that were most helpful were the ones who said to me something like, um, if you need such and such. How can you, I help? Yeah, yeah, how can I help? Mm -hmm. If you would like to go out to dinner, I'd be delighted to take you. You know, that, that kind of thing. Um, and I think the ones who were the most helpful were the ones who've gone through some kind of grief themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they understand. Mm -hmm. They understand what you're dealing with or the moments when you're like, it's, I've gotten quiet. Because across the board, the, what really got to me was you never know when something's going to give you that, you know, that, remember, that memory, you know, or something's, you're going to walk into that landmine. You're like, jeez. Thanks, guys. You know, and you're yeah. just regular, you know, just ready, just a whole ball of tears. I was working with my, um, our events coordinator at my job, and we, um, my company, we like our alcohol, so we were getting our, um, getting some, you know, bar, you know, necessities for one of the gatherings we were going to have at our job. And we walked down, um, and we were in total miles, we walked down the vodka aisle, and I don't know why, but I was a whole, whole hot mess in that vodka aisle. Because that was one of Trey's favorite drinks. And so you never know when it's going to hit you. Also, bring up uh, the issue of, like, not wanting to take lunch. Oh, yes. I, because um, I was on my lunch break when I found him. I, it just hit my, hit my spirit hard. Go home for lunch. Go home for lunch. Go home for lunch. Um, I even had to take my lunch later because I think we were short, shorthanded that day. So they were like, hey, Tuesday, it's okay if you can take your lunch later. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to home for lunch. I'm, I'm going to go to lunch. So I left and I went home for lunch and that's when I found him. So the, when I first went back to work, I went back to work for like half days. And then when I went back to work finally for full days, that lunch hour just hit me with like all kinds of anxiety. And I was like, it was like three days in and I said, George, I'm not taking lunch anymore. I, I can't, just, it's giving me anxiety. I can't take a lunch. Is there any, what, what can I do? And he was like, I don't care. Just don't get off at four. My job was so just wonderful as far as I was concerned. Um, they pretty much let me run whatever kind of show I wanted when it came to that. They're like, no, whatever she says, it's okay. We don't have a protocol, so you just do what you do. You got to um, be really good at what you do then. I, that is, you know, the grace of God for that yeah. one too, because I have made, um, God bless the where I was able to make a name for myself to where I'm able to, I wouldn't say I can't come and go as I please, because, you know, yeah, you have to be respectful of your position, but I'm able to say, hey, such and such reached out to me and they want me to help. And they're like, okay, go ahead and do that. Yeah. It's, I've had companies where they're like, no, 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 you stay in this box. And so I've been able to, you know, step up out of a box. But no, my company really was awesome. So when I told him, I said, I don't want to take a lunch. And he was like, that's fine. And I've gotten to the point to where now I think I'm going to go, go ahead at the beginning of the year, mm -hmm. start taking a lunch again, see how it works. Um, because it just, it was one of those things where I'm just like, and I literally would just feel just. It's a trigger, yeah. Yeah, it was a trigger. And so you just never know when you get those. And my thing's like, oh, my God, my lunch hour is a trigger. Do you know, I had a couple of triggers. One of them was Brian used to um, cook dinner. Oh. And all of a sudden, on the way home, I had to stop and pick something up for dinner. Oh, goodness. Um, there was a supermarket right next to the apartment complex I was living in. And it took me a while to realize, okay, park the car, just walk out the back gate over to the supermarket, pick up something to make for dinner and come home. And it was 10 minutes. And you got very good total. at that routine. Yeah, and that's Jeremy. Um, Hello, everyone. My current One partner. of my triggers was always music. A certain oh. song would come on the radio. Yeah. I'd be driving down the road, and yeah, music's just powerful. Light up tears, and, yeah, and just to explain, Jeremy also lost a partner. How yeah, long my, ago? My is partner it? Dustin. He died in 2010 oh. on his 33rd birthday, January 1st, in a house fire. And I was off in D.C. when it happened, so it, it was tough. It took me years to get over it. I mean, I was in a dark place for five, six years. I mean, I, I had, you know, people and family around me. His family primarily and but I I had a hard time dealing with it but I finally moved past it and accepted it um, had lots of dreams at night mm -hmm. that he was alive still and yeah. all kinds of stuff but uh, I eventually got through it but counseling probably would have been a, a good route for me and I didn't choose to do that so I've heard a good analogy or description of grief is that when this event happens at first it's like being at sea 
in a storm of 100-foot waves that just wash over you and mm-hmm. want to drown you. And after a while, they're still 100 feet, but they're a little stretched apart. Yeah. And then eventually they get down to 50 feet, but they still come, and occasionally you'll get that 100-foot sneaker wave. Mm-hmm. And so it never really goes away, but the sea will calm out a little bit to where you can get back and function uh, without getting completely you know, washed, yeah. washed over. Yeah. Um, one thing I learned, though, about doing grief is that people will tell you, okay, there are the five stages of grief you have to go through these no do you have to do them in order uh i hope not i i have what the five stages are denial bargaining depression anger and acceptance i never went through a bargaining stage yeah he was gone yeah i think that happens when you have someone that maybe is like in a car accident and they're in a coma uh god if you if you let my partner live, then I will da 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 the quid pro quo. Mm-hmm. And that's more like the definition of bargaining? Yeah. Okay, so I was gonna ask. I definitely can relate. But everybody that I've talked to about grief does grief a little bit differently in their own way and in their own time. Things that we did to grieve, uh, I know with with Dustin's mother was was shop. Remodel the okay. house, work on projects. I bought paint. two pairs of really nice shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Made me feel good. Yeah, family planned a family vacation in Tennessee and did a road trip, and we did all kinds of stuff. Um, but it was still difficult. Mm-hmm. Still difficult. Now you did family. Yes. Um, thinking about it, three weeks after Brian died, he and I were scheduled to go down to Florida to visit some family of mine. And I ended up going on the trip anyway. How did that go? It went well because I needed to be around family then. That's good. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I mean, obviously a completely different trip than we had planned. Yeah, generally. I skipped the Disney World part of the trip. Oh, yeah, I can, I can see that. I did, um, my family, when they came, um, I called my mom right after I called the ambulance, or 911. Um, my whole family came over, like they, everybody just stopped what they were doing and they showed up. And they stayed with me the entire time. And then, um, I'm usually the planner. I'm always the one that puts everything together. And I think I was holding a pair of shoes, and no, I think I had one shoe, and something random, and my family just kept around me, just they packed all my stuff for me. And by the time I got to my mom's house, I'm like, what all did you, I was like, I swear my house was empty by the time. They packed every bag that they can think of. They packed all the stuff for my dog, everything. And I still, I, remember, I just had like, I think a pair, just one shoe or something. And that, that was a huge blessing with you, because your family was very close to Trey as well, your mom especially. Yes, oh my gosh. Having that support there for you. Yeah, I felt bad for my mom. She literally, she was in bed for like 24 hours. She did not move for 24 hours. She's like, did that hurt her heart? Because that was her baby. He would come to the house, mama. Like, oh, Lord, Jesus, why are you hollering? But she'd be like, hey, my tray. So, but, yeah, so that it, it hurt my whole family. And my nieces, um, they all, my nieces and my nephew, they all, they, they literally, like, full-on boohoo tears when they found out that Uncle Trey was gone. Um, and I remember, because that Sunday, was it, I think it was Sunday, we went to, to my, meet my um, sister's house. And this is Trey just being him. My niece was, she put this crazy mohawk in his head. She let, he let her just put a mohawk in, her, in his head and just was being silly with, you know, just with the kids. And that's what they knew. They knew Uncle Trey was, well, he, he'd come and talk to me. He'd play with me. He'd let me, you know, mess with his hair. And that was him. So that one, it hurt, it hurt everybody when he passed away. It did hurt everybody. But, but yeah, family was what really helped me get through because they were 100% there. They helped me because... They were like, T, we know you're going through because you ain't got nothing planned. I was like, I ain't got nothing planned. And you had a sister who, who takes charge? and Yeah, she took over. She, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Keisha. She took over because if not, because I had an idea, like especially for a service, I had an idea. So well, I was thinking about this. And Keisha's like, well, where's your papers, Teresa? You should have something written down. I was like, well, and it was just really just for her to, she was like, oh, Teresa, you're going through it. And just for them to recognize the little things about me that they could tell that wasn't, you right. know, in place. I, I'm just grateful for them because they really just, they stepped up and just that support system was, I'm just grateful. I have, plus before that, I had a really good family. We were leave it to Bieber, that family. We, 
we have matching pajamas for Christmas, okay? So we're <laughs> those people. <laughs> um. Now, we were talking about everybody does grief in their own way. How prepared were you for this? There's no preparation, I would say, when it comes, like for me especially. It's not like he was sick for a while and, you know, I was, I had my own personal grief of knowing that he's going to be, be gone for a while. I, there was no preparation. I Because that's how I was. Yeah. Brian was fine when I left for work in the morning. Okay, yeah. I went through the same thing. It hit me like a freight train. And I was living well, in the city, so I was an away. And had, had just been there to visit, or just been down to Dallas to visit for the for Christmas and had left and found out over the phone. And literally, it was like being hit by a freight train. So it, yes. You just never, I just reacted the way I did and dealt with it one step yeah. at a time. Yeah, in all three cases, um, it was a surprise. Yeah. Had you ever talked uh, to each other about, well, if I die first, this is what I want. If you die first, this is what you want. Nothing, like, serious. We just knew that we, neither of us wanted to be put in the ground. Like, cremate me, please do not put me in the ground. I will haunt you to the day you die. I do not put me in the ground. I don't know why. I just was just like, don't do that to me. And so when I, I remember, that was the only thing we had a conversation about, and it was just random. Like, one of those, you know, random midnight well, conversations when you're not asleep yet. Get into that conversation until later on in their... Yeah, well, it was... Relationships are in their age anyway, but... Me and Trey were crazy, and every now and then we'd say, we'd, we'd get on a silly topic about something goofy. Maybe, maybe I think I may have even lost a friend or something at the time, but we had, you know, we talked about it, and he said, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't think I want to be... Don't lay me out in front of everybody if everybody look at me. I don't want, see, I don't want nobody to see me like that. I said, okay, I got you. And that was, just, that was as detailed as we had gotten, was just a quick... Then you cremate. had, you had uh, had more of a discussion than we had had, and... Uh, Jeremy, you and uh, Dustin, had you ever discussed anything like that no, at all? We weren't actually in a relationship at that point any longer, although I still had strong feelings for him. But no, we never did. And that's why even with you, I always talk about, you know, we, we got to lay all this stuff out because you never know. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, with Katie and I, it's pretty detailed. I mean, this is the beach. We go back and visit oh, every beautiful. once in a while. It's in Northern California, and, and that's Leslie, where Leslie is passing around an iPad picture of the yeah. beach. So it's a little little beach in the middle Hold of nowhere. Hold it up to the microphone so people like are right now. So we can all see it. Yeah, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's a little <laughs> tiny beach, uh, but there's some history to it, and it's something that's important to both of us. And whichever one of us goes first is going to end up at that beach, or we may collect until both of us are done. And uh, but that's both where we're going to end up. We already know. Yeah, it's common for couples to not discuss it because unless one of the members of the couple is a lot older than the other, one is not expected to live longer than the other. Exactly. Yeah, Katie's nine years younger than I am. So it's expected that I'm going to check out first. So it's not that I want dibs on that, but. <laughs> Nobody wants to be like, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> But so couples very often don't discuss it. Mm -mm. You know, you expect parents to go before you do. Exactly. Uh, but you just don't expect uh, a partner to go, which adds to the, to the shock and surprise. Um, why don't we take our break? We're talking to Teresa Scott Laster and to Jeremy Holland. Hello. <laughs> this was really one of the most last-minute shows we've ever done. I yeah. like that. Uh, you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM, and uh, we'll be back with more right after this. Hi, this is Patty Fink, and you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Leslie McMurray. Patty and Lauren have the week off. And we're discussing grief with Teresa Scott Laster and Jeremy Holland. Uh, Jeremy is my partner. Teresa is one of my best friend's wife. <laughs> and Leslie is... I'm just Leslie. Just Leslie. Yeah. 
Okay, so during the break we were uh, just talking about um, being prepared. What were you saying? Because you were in the middle of something. Oh, I was just saying that um, when I talked to Trey about life insurance and you know what do we want to do? You know how you know how how things how should we handle things? You know in the, in the end, if you know if anything happens to us, he didn't really want to talk about it because he didn't want to think about anything ending. And I feel like you learn a lot second time around. And you're, I'm like, no, nah, we talking about this. And so I have a life insurance policy. He didn't have a life insurance policy. Um, but I feel like across the board, you should have a conversation. I mean, once things get serious and you're like, okay, you know what? Like rings are, you know, if someone's with you, are uh, whether it's before rings are exchanged or right at um, being engaged, you need to have that conversation because if and I, one of the reasons what made him really, I was like, let's go ahead and get married. But he was like, oh, we don't have to do that. You're my wife, and I don't care, you know. And I was like, but legally, when it comes to things like him passing, if I wasn't his wife, it would have been a whole, a whole mess. Do you know we were married eight months and twenty-seven days? And the reason I know that is because in order to collect your partner's social security, you need to be married nine months. Oh my so three days short, and yes, oh. I did appeal it, and no, it didn't get anywhere. So sorry. Um, what was my point with that? Talk about it. What, Figure it out. <laughs> what did you just say? Oh, I was just saying, you know, I just you have. I told him to, you know, let's go ahead and get married because if anything, uh, even with medical, so you can't say anything at that. So people would say to us, "Well, do you feel married?" And the answer was, well, I don't really feel any different. Mm -hmm. The one time it made a huge difference that we were married was the night that Brian died. Because otherwise I would have had to have gotten in touch with his mother in, in the middle of the night to make some medical decisions. Exactly. And you don't want to have to go through those type of hoops. You're already just reeling. And to have to go through those type of hoops, it would just, it's rough. And one of the things I told Trey, I was like, I don't want to have to put, I don't want to put your son, I don't want to put your, your, your dad, anyone through these things. We can discuss what we want to discuss as far as how we want to handle each other. But getting married will make it so much easier. And like say, like even if just getting sick, like say he had gotten into a car accident and he ended up in a coma. You know, I can make the decision, do everything you can to keep this man alive. But if you're not... You know, if you're not married, legally, they can just be like, yeah, so um, where's his dad? Where's, you know, and then if someone's not answering their phone, you're kind of stuck. Mm -hmm. And it's, mm -hmm. it's very, it's, it, that's something that people don't want to think about. Also, too, I mean, uh, I don't know whether it's okay to mention her name or not, but uh, get a hold of a good estate planning attorney. Uh, it's not mm -hmm. that expensive, but that kind of planning, you can make arrangements that are far beyond what you might think. And in many cases, you don't want to go through probate because uh, you're going to need an attorney then anyway. Uh, so I would definitely recommend getting hold of an estate planning attorney. Uh, I, I know of one if, if, uh, if you're interested. Lori Birch has yeah. been on our show before. Good, good, so, good, good. Yeah, yeah, Lori's great. And that's who I'd recommend. She's very LGBTQ friendly uh, and very competent at what she does. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's important. Yeah. Very important. Um, I didn't have anything, so there's yeah. no estate. <laughs> Well, and that was part of the reason that Brian and I didn't do anything particularly, although I had him as beneficiary of everything. Um, so it's not like there would have been a challenge to yeah. his getting anything. But, yeah, we should have had a will in place. Yeah. So. Well, there, I mean, I have kids from a different marriage. And without uh, a will in place, Katie could not be, say, kicked out of the house, mm -hmm. but she could not sell the house without them being involved. Exactly. And if they wanted to get in mm -hmm. the way that way. Uh, and so having all that scoped out as to what exactly you want happen and what your w wishes are can save you a lot of grief down the road. Right. Exactly. And right. that is so true. Some, someone, when I went to sell my house, I bought it prior. I had bought it prior to uh, me and Trevor getting together. Mm -hmm. But when I went to go to sell the house, and I was talking to the real estate agent, she was like, "If you guys go and buy a house together, make sure you guys get a will." That was that's one time someone mentioned about you know wills and and things. She said because 
in the state of Texas, if you two were to divorce or if anything happened to him, it goes to his children. Right. And, you know, she said, whatever you may have put into that house, you could lose mm -hmm. to his children, to his, you know, to his son. Um, not saying that James would do anything. Right, like exactly. That. But, you know, it's just it's because of the state of Texas and the way it's set. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's the thought process. We were actually planning on getting a house. We wanted to, but we hadn't done that yet. We were still renting. So I'm grateful that that wasn't any thing. It you weren't just renting. You were in the middle of moving when he died. Yes. Oh, my Lord, that whole situation. I mean, I was just like, God, what is the timing of it? I was just crazy. We were, we had just, I had just gotten approved for an apartment. And I was like, okay, so we're going to move. Because it was time for us to move. I was like, I got tired. I didn't want to stay there anymore. There was no wash and dryer in the unit. And I was just like, I can't no more with this up with stairs. And so I, um, we had, I had started looking and I found some, a place that was, that, you know, that would work for us. The price was something that either of us could pay without, you know, without the other person if we had to. And I was so excited. And the, the funny thing was the Sunday before he passed away, we had, we, went up to there's a place called Normus off of Briar Grove mm -hmm. and Dallas Montrollway. Great place. Love it. Haven't gone back since, but uh, we ate there. And I was like, it's right up the street from where I stay. And I was like, hey, do you want to go see the house? Because he, he was like, I trust you, babe. You got this. I trust you. And he has never seen it. He never got to see it. Mm -hmm. And I got the place specifically because there was two closets. And I was like, we, you know, just us sharing a closet was rough. So just having, you know, two closets and I got it because it was like, it was good. It, it was, it would work for us in a one bedroom. And James was going to college. He was getting, he was going to be on campus. It just, he had, we had actually just were transitioning and he never got to see it. And I'm only grateful because I think if he had saw it or if he had moved in with me, I don't think I would have been able to live there for a year. The only thing that kept me in the apartment that I was in was because we were moving. Um, but having to sleep in that place, knowing that he's never going to get in the bed next to me. You know, I'm never going to roll over. I'm never going to see, hear him, baby, where's my keys? Where's my wallet? Where's my phone? Where's any and everything that you need to go to work that should be in a certain space, but it's not. Um, I don't have, you know, I'm never going to have that, you know, and so I completely changed up the whole house design when I moved. I was like, I can't, I don't want to think about I don't want to remember that he's not going to sit on this side of the couch and that dent is not there no more. So. Yeah, so so many little things, little that things. you won't predict and it's, exactly. you end up missing. Yeah, the toothpaste splatter on it. Yeah. You know, sometimes, I mean, it's frustrating, but yeah. darn it. Have you had a hard time with holidays? Um, so far, like Christmas this year, um, I think my family's just trying to keep me busy. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're doing Christmas um, at my sister's house. Um, and I haven't, so far, it hasn't hit me too hard. It hit me on, my, on our birthday, because he was three days after mine. Mm -hmm. And usually we do something together. And Google, you know, like do Google photos on your phone. I'm like, they were coming for my emotions that day, just beating me up, because they were like, oh, two years ago, this is what you did. Look at this memory. I'm like, just leave me alone, okay, Google? But, you know, it's just, it was interesting. I celebrated with my sisters. I went back to a place I hadn't gone since before he and I, he and I were together, just had like a girl's birthday. But just knowing that, you know, three days later, he, you know, I won't be able to celebrate with them. It was, that was, that was rough. That was rough um, for that. But after that, outside of this right now, I'm just, like I said, just keeping busy. You have to get past the firsts. Okay, you know, yes, the, the first, first Thanksgiving, the mm -hmm. first Christmas, the first birthday, the, all yeah, those kind of... Yeah, I think that's going to... Do you know I had more trouble with the second? Really? The second birthday, because his birthday was uh, just about a month after he, he died. Oh, okay. And I have no memory of that at all. Oh, I was in a fog. Oh, you poor thing. Um, holidays. I went through the steps the first time, but the second time I was more clear. I was more focused on getting back to some kind of normal semblance of life. And it hit me much harder. Oh, this yeah. is, you know, we'd be doing this together right now. 
Yeah. And let me guess something, because I think I'm probably pretty close, because I have a real hard time with this. His name and number is still in your phone, isn't it? Oh, sure. Absolutely. There's no way. There's a yeah. number of people that I've been close to that are gone, and I, I can't take their, I mean, yeah. Katie's mom, I, I can't take her number out of my phone. I have a friend, she's still in my favorites. Now, I had to take yeah. Trey out of my favorites, because that was, that, that, that was an emotional just yeah. battering ram right there, but my friend Monica, she's still in my favorites. Yeah. Um, and she passed away like about a few months before Trey did. Yeah. On the Facebook page as well, yeah. I know Dustin's Facebook page went on for quite some time, and people would leave remarks and stuff. And I haven't gotten on his Facebook page. Uh, I don't think I'm ready for that one yet. Yeah. Not ready for that one. No hurry. No. Um, but second year, uh, which starts with a, a bad day, which is the anniversary of the death. Yeah. I don't know how that's I'm probably going to definitely at least take that day off. At the very least, take either that day, maybe the whole week off. We'll see. We'll see what's going on with that one. That's, um... As you just I, for me, I just don't know when it's gonna hit. I don't know when it's gonna hit because I can walk, I can drive past a restaurant or it just or my dog would do something silly and I'm like, I can't just tell Trey right now, you know. So mm -hmm. it's just. Yeah, you can't just pick up the phone and call him. Yeah. And say, hey. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. my dad passed away from COVID well, a while back, and I still. I said, well, call him back and invite him. <laughs> Um, his father had gotten remarried, his second wife had passed away, and his third wife, who he's with now, um, pushed, you know, what do you mean you're not talking to your kids? Okay. And then that happened. Wow. Yeah. His dad had started... Um, he would call his dad and he would he said his his conversations were getting interesting with his dad like he was thinking he's not his dad's not always wasn't his full self um it started happening a little bit before you mm -hmm. know um trey passed away so when i called his dad i was like oh my gosh i just i felt you know i felt really really bad because i'm like you don't need these you know i don't want these you don't want to put you know pile problems on the people but you know you can't just like high that your son's gone mm -hmm. like why aren't you coming around no more uh you're just not making it you know you just you don't do that so mm -hmm. i did that was those phone calls were the hardest it was they were the hardest for me to, to my gray's anatomy and i watched a lot of those you know those medical shows when i got there his you know i was like okay i looked at his eyes and i you know fixed and dilated he was cold cold like, um, there's no, I'm like, you, yeah, he's gone. And so when I, I talked, I called 911, they were like, well, have you checked? I was like, nah, there's no pulse. His pupils are fixed and dilated and he's very cold. And they're like, oh, uh, okay. It's like, they, it's almost like they, they were shocked that I'm, I was like, I. I would imagine they deal with a lot of hysterical people. So I think the fact that you're, you know, oh, I'm very contained calm and calm, yeah, things. is probably unusual for them. Yes, I had a, I was in a car accident and the girl who like ran her car into me, she, her hood was underneath my trunk. I was giving her circles. You know, like, it's okay, you're gonna be okay. Yeah. We got this, you're gonna be okay, it's all right. Yeah. I'm that person. Um, so I just, when I called and now, when my mom got there, I, I will say I just fell all the way apart. Just, all the way apart. That's what happens to me. If something, if there is chaos, mm -hmm. I'm great in the moment, and then I fall apart once. Once it's over. People come in and they say, "Okay, we got that now," and then it's like, ah. yeah, like now I can fall apart. Yeah. But yeah, there was for me. I didn't have any denying because I was like, I, I saw you. You're, you're there, and you're not. You know, you're you're not who you were before. You know, yeah. you're gone. And the denial that I was going through was. Okay, why aren't they picking up the phone? Oh yes, cause you. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yes. cause it took twenty minutes for nine one one to answer the phone when I called. Oh my goodness, David, that. Um. So, so any bargaining that went on. Went on just then. Yeah. Depression. Did I, you go through real depression? I, and I don't think I went through. Real depression. I would say bad days. 
I mean, I don't say, I mean, you know, you, I had, like you said, I had my days. I had my moments when I just didn't feel like getting out of the bed. And that was like on a Saturday when I can not get out of the bed. But any, you know, on the regular, I just push. I keep pushing. I keep pushing. Um, so I will say that my, my appetite had gone away. My, that's one thing about me. If, if there's like stress or anything going on in my life, the first thing that goes is my appetite. It's, it's just, you know, I, I will sit there and not eat. And I, my family, literally like Teresa, put something in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that's, that was about as depressed as I would say I gotten. I just have, uh, you know, every now and then you have those quiet days where you just, I'm, I'm not getting out of bed today. Guess what? I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, then anger. Did you go through anger? See, I didn't have to go through anger. I went through a lawsuit. Well, there you go. So that was your that was your anger. You had a surrogate to be angry at. Right. <laughs> right, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and then acceptance, which is learning to deal with it. We need to take a break. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with Leslie McMurray. Our guests are Jeremy Holland and Teresa Scott Laster, and we'll be back with more after this. This is Raphael McDonald from Resource Center Dallas. You're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. And this is Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here with uh, Jeremy Holland and (laughs) Teresa Scott Laster. Jeremy, when uh, Dustin died, did you go through those stages of grief? Yeah, I went. I went through all kinds of stages of grief. I, I was li- I was up in D.C. and I had worked the day before and was asleep. Woke up the next morning and it was like 4:50 in the morning for my early start at JetBlue, and I had like something like 40 missed calls. They were trying to contact me in the night to let me know what had happened. And I think I spoke to his sister first. So in my case, it was more everybody was calling to let me know. All of his family knew because they were all within you know four block vicinity of each other when it happened but I, I i just closed up when it first happened i think i lost my balance on the steps and fell down the carpeted stairway at home um oh, no. and then my roommate Catherine jumped into gear and helped me coordinate you know my flight pass to get down to dallas and southwest crew took care of me on the plane um but i literally had to say goodbye over the phone because he had inhaled so much smoke that it basically shut his brain down. And so, um, and the stages beyond that, it just, I basically, once I was back down here, I didn't want to leave again. So I ended up leaving my job and moving back and, you know, his mother needed me and I needed them. And that's, that's how we got through it was, was our connection. Um, but like I said before, we did a lot of, we were just kept busy. Luckily, Nana was very regimented and kept me busy. So that's how, that helped me get through a lot. There was a point where I, when I moved out of Nana's home and got my first apartment on my own, and after doing so, realized that I wasn't ready for it yet, because when I was alone at night, it wasn't working out, so yeah. that kind of backfired on me, but it took me a good five years to get, to get over it, because of the way it happened. It just was sudden. It was his 33rd birthday. It was New Year's Day. Oh, the last time we saw each other, we had a little bit of an argument over something that I don't even need to get into, but... Um, I just, I dealt with it. Lots of, and I had dreams for a long time that he was still alive for some reason. And they were so realistic. Like he was hiding somewhere, but still alive, but wasn't. Wow. But I'm past it now, so. That was so sad. Oh. Yeah, um, Teresa, you have a ways to go. I do. Most people, and, and I, I had heard this, Oh, it's almost a year. Aren't you over it by now? Yeah. Isn't that thoughtful? Said someone who's never really dealt with that kind of loss. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just, it's one of those things where you have good days and you have some bad days and you just keep going, you know, and knowing your support system through those bad days, um, on those bad days, because I will look up and like, what the heck did I just (laughs) send to my house? (laughs) So, but... I just really honestly I just having that having that support system and yes I do have you know it's it's, for me it's still it's new um it's just one of those things where you just gotta you just keep going one 
one day at a time, one step at a time. Don't think too far ahead because you can get lost in that kind of, in that sauce. I think it definitely makes you stronger if you had to go through it again. If I had to go through it again, yeah. then I, I would, I'd be able to handle it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. You just never was, know. Yeah. Right. It's the first time something like that happens. It's unexpectedly, it's hard to deal with it. You know, we had started a grief group for same-sex couples. And hearing people's stories, there were two types of people who came into the group. One were the sudden, and I came under the category of the sudden, and then there were the ones who had plenty of time to say goodbye because yeah, they, care. Yeah. their partner had cancer or some yeah. other long debilitating mm -hmm. illness and they took care of them. Uh, one person in our group had taken care of his partner after he had a stroke for more than 20 years. Wow. Um, now his problem became, what do I do with myself now? Okay. Whereas you and I remember life without Trey or Brian, mm -hmm. you know, very, it, it's very near to us. Yeah. And so even though it's not what we wanted, we can draw on what was just yes. kind of recent. Exactly. And I'd say like, like that last step for my birthday, um, I went to... Um, the Dragonfly, and I hadn't gone to that restaurant since I was 35. Um, I hadn't gone there for a birthday since I was 35. Um, and so my 42nd birthday, it's, you know, I was like, I'm back there. And it was just like, okay, it's just little bits of getting back to who you are. Because for five years, I was, you know, I was Trey's girl, you know. Mm -hmm. Then for two years, I was Trey's wife. And just getting back to just who you were. And the fact that it wasn't that, like you said, wasn't that far off. Some things were easier to get back into. I kind of do starfish in the bed sometimes. I'm like, yay, <laughs> got the whole thing. But outside of that, it's still, you know, you sometimes, because you think about, you, now my decisions, they're just me. When for a long time, it was both of us. So now I'm like, oh, I can buy that. Because no one's going to tell me no. So. But on the other side, if it's, you can't go, hey, who ate all the ice cream? Okay, because it was me. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. I did that. <laughs> you got to own that. <laughs> you got to own it. I got to own it, definitely. Like, darn it, these cookies are gone. <laughs> um, I know you had to think about coming on the air because you've been in the studio lots of times. <laughs> yeah, the audience, the studio audience. <laughs> and, yeah, you've been our audience. This is the first time you've been on the air, and I want to thank you, you for sharing yeah. with us. We still have about 10 minutes of the show left. Uh, I don't want to end on sad. Leslie. Yes. You had to provide blood work to join a bowling league. What? Yeah. Um, What's that all about? <laughs> okay. And I love to bowl, so... Yeah, I do, too. Um, it wasn't necessarily to join the bowling league. I joined a bowling league and uh, was doing fine, having a good time, but the league president sent me a text and said that um, my gender had been questioned by someone in the league. And it's like, okay. Um, so I decided to take it, uh, for one, to look in the USBC rules. They're the governing body for bowling. It was the United States Bowling Congress, and they're based here in Arlington. Uh, so fortunately, I don't have to get on a plane and fly somewhere to talk to them. And it turns out I talked to their, one of their executive vice presidents, super good guy. But I went and looked up what their rules were, and they were really weird uh, because it said something along the lines of, to bowl in a league, if you're transgender, you can declare your gender identity, and we'll wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, we'll, we'll accept that. But at the same time, you have to agree not to participate in elite-level tournaments. Uh, and so my question is, well, why wouldn't I be able to? And then it comes down to, well, it's because you're not, wink, wink, really a woman. So I have a real big problem with that. So that language was problematic. I mean, what, what is it? Because they think you're going to have more, more strength to throw uh, that yeah, ball harder? What, what yeah, that's, well, we got into that. 
But with bowling, it's a game of accuracy. It's like if you want to take a tennis ball and roll it down the hallway, I don't think testosterone gives you a significant advantage or disadvantage, uh, whether there is an excess of or an absence of. It's the ability to, to hit the same spot repeatedly. And if you left a six pin, the, abil- the ability to knock over a six pin. So we kind of had that conversation. But I went and looked in the elite level bowling and it said you have to, uh, among other things, be evaluated by their coaches, and you need to prove that your testosterone level is that of a woman. And that is below 10 nanograms per deciliter, which mine has been for over a decade. So no problem there. But I just felt kind of invaded a little bit that I had to call my doctor and get blood work and have that sent to them to show that I am who I say I am and then I had to go down to the the USBC's headquarters and be analyzed by two coaches who look at my ball speed the weight of the ball the rev rate of the ball uh, and then its arc uh, how much it breaks over a given period of time I mean they're analyzing it's incredible the analysis analysis they have it went like an hour to just go over it all because there's a million different things that you can look at which for me as a bowling nerd was fascinating so i ended up having to wait a couple of days and then i got a letter in the mail from the usbc this is i can bowl in any women's tournament i want anywhere so yay so it was a process to go through it just should be i would like to bowl in this tournament as i told the executive vp i said I will make you a promise right here and right now that there is no man in the history of bowling that has transitioned to being a woman in order to win a woman's bowling trophy. I will promise you okay. that. That has not happened, nor will it ever happen. Um, but it's just that same sort of nonsense. There, in Dallas recently, uh, last week, there was a Irish step dancing tournament. I don't know if you saw the hoopla over that. Yes. But there was a trans girl who was 13 that won her division and gets to go to the world championships in the step dancing. And instead of celebrating her, some right-wing group has called her out and said that there is a genetic predisposition to being excellent at Irish step dancing. No, there's not. What? Just stop it already. Dancing? Are you kidding me? I mean, if anything, it's harder for her because the steps are different between the male dancers and the female dancers and before transition if this person was trying to compete in the male steps now they had to learn whole new steps yeah it's kind of like you know they say who is better uh fred astaire or ginger rogers and they say ginger rogers by far because she had to do everything fred did except she had to do it backwards and in heels Mm -hmm. although (laughs) the heels part i agree with but the backwards is the only way she ever did it. Yeah. Wow. But still, yeah. It's just not comfortable moving backwards because you can't see. You yeah, have to oh, that's trust. Yeah. Okay, so they were looking at what size ball you used. Not so much that. They were looking at the rev rate, the velocity, which would, again, be affected by the weight of the ball. Uh, but there was a whole lot of different factors. But eventually they analyzed that. And also there, there are some other things that are problematic, and I don't want to get too nerd deep in bowling, but there are, is presently a 13-year-old girl that bowls, and she throws a two-handed ball like a guy named Jason Del Monte. And mm-hmm. so her rev rate is hundreds of RPMs higher than what mine is. Mm-hmm. And it's up in the area where the men throw that ball like that. So are you going to disqualify her? because she's using a technique that some of the men on the tour use? This is just odd to me. Yeah, I just think we need to not get so excited about it. Because it's like, as long as trans women suck at something, nobody complains. But if we do well, then it's a big problem. (laughs) Bowling is one of those things, though, that men and women have always bowled together. Together, yeah. Yeah. Where they segregate them out, there are some that are women-only leagues. There are some that are what they call mixed leagues, which is what I bowl in, and there are men's leagues. And uh, then there are tournaments that are segregated. And the tournament level, at the elite level, they are separated by men and women. But you also watch on, like, Saturday Bowling, and there's a bunch on YouTube, where there are professional women bowlers that are bowling against the men, and there's virtually no difference there. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say. Great at it, you're great at yeah, it. Yeah, okay. That's and I think it's, don't women score strikes and spares? Yeah, they do. Yeah. And here's where it goes back to, uh, and I think you can draw a straight line there, is ever since the formation of this country, it was designed for white men to rule everyone else. And so they have said every, there's some of the ridiculous notions that women shouldn't ride trains because uh, the velocity of the train is going to cause their body some sort of horrible thing, so they couldn't ride oh, trains. Yeah. And it's just women are weaker, women aren't as good, and it's a justification for holding them down and saying, well, mm -hmm. the men need to go out and do this. You just stay home, honey, and cook the dinner and do all this sort of stuff. And it's just a bunch of nonsense. Mm -hmm. It's a bunch of baloney that's been perpetuated and bought into for any number of years. Yeah. I like that song, Anything well, You Can Do, I Can Do Better. Yeah. It never well, occurred to me that men bowled better than women. Well, I mean, some men will better was, than some women, but there's some women out there that will flat out kick I, your rear I end. I grew up in the bowling alley. My mom was basically professional. She yeah. would hit everything every time. Yeah. She had a hammer and a nail. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when I was in a bowling league, I had the highest handicap in the league, and it was a very large league because I was the worst bowler. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the best at bowling, but I grew up bowling because we grew up in a small town in Kansas, so that was pretty much one of the few things you could do. We always would go bowling. What town? Um, in Junction City. Oh, okay. Yeah, I so, lived in, uh, um, oh gosh, Johnson County. It's uh, Overland Park. Oh, okay, yes. We're yeah. about two hours away from there. Yeah. So, but we, so for me, I remember at one point I was dating this one guy, and he even got like a little wrist thing because he was like, he saw somebody doing, oh, you know, yeah. wearing it, and I still banked his butt with me and all my gutter balls. <laughs> so, but we just had to get, you know, just yeah. bowling is bowling. I don't care, I don't care what you, how you come in, you can come in your pajamas, you yeah. can come anything you want. If you're going to bowl, let's have a good time. Bowling is, should, should be one of those few things that's just like, that's that mesh, that well, melting pot, everybody does it. In fairness though, the prizing is uh, segregated by like the men's high game, women's high game, women's high series, men's high series, high average, yada, yada, yada. So those are segregated out. And I could see where someone might have a problem, but I just don't have an advantage. You don't, because those pins, sometimes they just, they still laugh at you, no matter yeah, what, they they'll do. still laugh at you. They're so. nailed to the floor. Okay, so no matter what gender you are, yeah. Or how you started out. That's what's going to yeah. come for you. We are just about out of time. I want to thank you for being here today. Uh, there's another, there's this woman I would love to see you have on the show at some point in time, but I don't think she's local. Uh, but her name is Heather Cox Richardson. And she wrote a book called Democracy Awakening. She's a history professor. Mm. Absolutely fascinating. There was a group of people when Abraham Lincoln was running for president that wore capes and black hats and carried torches in their parades to escort the Republican politicians because they were fighting the pro-slavery group, the states' rights group. And so they felt they needed to protect these candidates. The interesting thing is, you know what they were called, these people in 1860 that protected Abraham Lincoln and other politicians like him? They were called wide awakes. Hmm. hmm. Wow. So, back then. Yeah, they were woke back then. Okay. And with that, we are just about out of time. Yeah. Leslie, you'll Everyone be back have a with Merry us. Christmas. Yay. Merry Christmas. You'll be back with us soon. Happy Hanukkah. And for all of us here at Lambda Weekly, we'll see you next week.